Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 33 of Destination Linux. Today we're going to discuss, again, Solus, because that's the big news of the day. We're going to wish Gnome a happy birthday. We're going to talk about some VPN providers maybe not acting so great, and much more. With me today is Ryan. Ryan, what's going on? I'm back. You're back. Well, let's tell everybody the news, Ryan. All right. It's time to release the news. It's time to release the news. So This is going to go all over the press. CNN's <laughs> going to pick this up. Everybody. Fox <laughs> News, for sure. I mean, this is going to just, if you're listening and you're standing up, sit down. Here we go. Go ahead, Rocco. Stay seated. Okay. Ryan is going to actually be a, a permanent fixture on Destination Linux. Let the crowd cheer. <laughs> Can you add in some cheering effects in there or something? I'll like try that? to add some cheering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, the community's been fantastic. It was funny. I was in the Telegram group the other day, and everybody was so nice to me. And I thought, I told you, Rocco, all of your fans are nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just the we got a good community, community man. <laughs> they really are. And uh, if you've not joined the Telegram group, definitely check it out. But it was great to see all the love in there for, and support uh, for the episodes that we've done together. And I was telling them, Rocco, it just seems like uh, the first time you invited me on the show before we even hit record, me and you talked for like an hour and we're like, whoa, where, where did the time we, go? We should we have just, recorded this. <laughs> we really should have. And uh, so it's really one of those things where I, I've enjoyed it a lot and really appreciate it. Honor to, to be on the show. So I, I hope I can live up to it. And we're going to have lots of guests and things on the show in the future. And there'll be other people. So you won't have to just stare at my ugly mug, but uh, definitely happy. Yep, we're trying to line up guests right now, and we're you know we're still you know boxing around an idea about a third host or not, but we'll see what happens. But I think uh, Ryan's going to be a permanent fixture. That's that's the big news. Yep. All right, the other big news, Solus, Solus. three, dude. Yeah. So Ryan, have you tried Solus? Just recently, uh, I've been running Ubuntu Budgie on my laptop, and. Uh, my laptop is a MacBook that's been converted completely to Linux. No OS signs on it. Wow. Um, it's been com converted completely to Linux, and it runs Ubuntu Budgie beautifully. Uh, I've loved Ubuntu Budgie. But when you talk about Solus being in the news, what I find really interesting about Solus is the excitement that comes around this distribution. I mean, everywhere, like every news, uh, Linux news uh, site and everything was talking about Solus. And... When I first got into Linux, I didn't hear much about Solus. I know people knew about it and it was used and it was popular, but I didn't hear about it as a newcomer. There were other things being recommended, but I could certainly see there's a lot of love for this distribution. So I thought, well, I'm going to go out there and install this distribution, but I wanted to install it with GNOME. And the reason was I had already obviously played with Budgie a little bit in Ubuntu and I wanted to kind of uh, do something with GNOME there for a while. So uh, I installed it and... Wow, what a beautiful installer. I mean, some of the things that I didn't even think about other installers not having, for instance, just simply set my time zone automatically. Yep. Right? A very simple thing. And it's not that hard to go click on a map and try to get that, whatever you call it, highlighted over the map area, the time regions. zone that you're in. 
Um, but it's just simple things like that that they added that really make the experience just feel complete. Like you're getting a uh, paid-for, out-of-the-box solution um, that you would expect from any big vendor-released operating system. So uh, aside from that, though, once you start getting into Solus, that experience continues. And I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to keep harping on it because it's my big hang-up with some of the distributions that I've used is the user experience, user experience, user experience. Does it feel complete? When you go to an area or you want to get in settings, are there multiple ways to get into it? And are they intuitive? If I right click, I want to be able to get into my settings from there on the desktop, for instance, or are your menu systems or file searching? Do the desktop environments they provide with it integrate with the distribution well? So it feels like this complete whole. And Solus might be doing it as good as any other distribution out there. I mean, it just feels from the moment you get into it, and start playing with things and adding even their software center. Yep. I mean, it's just so well done. It all makes sense. Everything's where it should be. It's beautiful. What are yeah. your thoughts on it? Well, I've said before that Solus is something that you have to run. You can't just, you, I mean, we can sit here and talk about it all day, but you have to run it to really get that feel of it. And it has such a great feel when you're running it solid all across the board. Um, I installed it on the test drive. And I put it on there. The install went flawlessly. I boot into it. I come to the main screen where they have switched a few things around since the last release. So like the panels at the bottom by default, where before it was at the top. But all of these things kind of make it feel like it's more polished. Okay. Yeah. So the budgie menu didn't have the problems that I had before with it. It was extremely fast. Uh, the one problem with the budgie menu before was that it was like, there was like this hesitation every time you would open it up. Uh, and then the sorting issues uh, and all of that has been fixed. Uh, again, the Raven side panel, even though it's been stripped out of, uh, the, the actual, some of the settings that were in there, it's still valuable to me with the, uh, sound options right there. And then mm -hmm. you go into the, to the budgie settings itself and they have everything right there. Everything you need to change is all right there on top of yes. the actual settings that you have for the system. Um, mm -hmm. They have a new theme. Uh, they removed the arc theme from it and they have Adapta now. And I love Adapta. I think it's one of the best themes out there. So that makes me happy. If you I mean, love that, it. That I love the good, theme man. then everybody's got to love the theme. No. But it all the way around, it is absolutely awesome. I love some of the things that they even added in this distribution. Because, again, I wasn't as super familiar with it until this one, this version came out. Well, I knew Budgie. It was related to it and those things from running Ubuntu Budgie. But I wasn't super familiar. But they're, they're doing all the right things in their rolling release. And I guess this wasn't always a rolling release. But, you know, they've got the latest drivers and improvements for their drivers for AMD, Intel, NVIDIA. So you're, you're, you could run this on the state-of-the-art equipment. And, in fact... When I was playing with it on my MacBook, I'm like, I just went to Antergos on my main, what I call the beast machine. Yeah. Uh, but I could run Solus as my main OS on that even and feel like, even though it's a lightweight distro, maybe it's considered more mid-lightweight distro, it just feels powerful. It feels like Arch feels powerful in ways. Yep. Um, and now you've got the snap packages out there as well. That was another new feature they added. And I know that one was kind of controversial, I guess, because some of the things said prior and then changing the mind, but 
ultimately it's whatever he's doing, he's focusing completely, in my opinion, whether it's intentional or not on the user experience, just if you want to get in there, install an OS, have it get out of your way and then start doing what you want to do with the OS, Solus might be it, man. Well, Ike cool. has always said that his his main purpose is for a desktop operating system. So he is concentrating on the user itself, and it shows all the way throughout the system. Uh, they have added animations to the uh, to Budgie itself, but they've not overdone it. You know what I mean? You can overdo animations where it slows things down and it kind of looks, Absolutely. you know, wonky or whatever, but they have not overdone that. They've added like simple animations that make it nice. Um, they have the nightlight applet, which I don't really use because I've never really found a setting that works for me, but for some people it's invaluable. Yeah. Uh, it basically turns your screen for those who know, like a yellowish hue, yep. which is supposed to make it so that if you're up at night, like I do and sit on my laptop and playing <laughs> that you don't, that blue light kind of uh, apparently sends signals to your brain to continue to keep you awake and not get tired. Whereas that yellow light, uh, less strain on your eyes and will allow you to kind of cut it off before 2 a.m. when you got to work at 6, you know, yep. that type of stuff. <laughs> well, the one thing that I always add is the places menu, and they have updated the places menu so that the way it was before when you would hit the button for places, it would drop down. It would show you places where your folders were, but it was a an arrow that was not that's not open. It was collapsed, and then mm. it would show you your drives. Well... Now there's an option in the places to check that so that when you hit the drop down menu, your places are open by default, which is what it should be. And I think it's uh, okay. This may not be a huge factor, but it's one more little thing that goes into making it absolutely yeah. awesome. Yeah. You, you could tell that, uh, you know, Ike and others, they're using this constantly as their daily driver and they're fixing all the things that probably annoy them when they're using it. And it's just, you can kind of feel all that collaboration. There were two issues I ran into. Um, one was that, uh, for instance, running Ubuntu Budgie, you know, we know how Ubuntu is as far as being one of the most compatible distributions of hardware and things. Right. Uh, when I installed it, obviously it found my Wi-Fi, Broadcom Wi-Fi running. One of the big issues with putting Linux on a Mac is the Wi-Fi card. It's just kind of a universal problem that exists out there, the Broadcom. Right. Uh, chip. So, um, but Ubuntu's over doesn't have that issue. You just basically boot into it. Your Wi-Fi signal is going to be there, and you can run it. In this case, it wasn't a bad workaround, but I did have to do some work and connect it up to Ethernet first to figure out what it was. And it's a simple fix. You just have to go into the additional drivers and select the Broadcom there to activate it. And right. once you do that, you're good to go. Yep. Um, but that one was one issue where I thought, well, they could probably just complete that out a little bit so that you don't even have to do that. But how many people are running MacBook with Linux? Well, besides Linux for Boulders, not very many, right? Well, I um, actually had the same issue. So Okay. Uh, oh, gotcha. It, it could be something that they might, you know, maybe want to look at adding in the future just to make it that one step easier. But yeah, it is in the additional drivers. But go ahead. Definitely. And then the second issue was with my Synology NAS. Um, some of the complaints I had heard before I started using Solus was that the software was kind of the operating system was locked down. You're not going to go uh, be able to go out there and get, you know, .deb packages and that type of stuff to install on it. 
Uh, and one of the software, everything I've been wanting and some of the stuff I didn't even know existed, like GNOME Twitch, which I found was so cool. Um, and, you know, he's got the software center so greatly organized with third-party apps and everything else. But the one app I couldn't find was for my Synology NAS. Now, Synology is big time into Linux. They support Linux heavily uh, from an enterprise level down to consumer. So I was surprised to not see it there. But... I was able to create the package pretty easily within the terminal. So there are steps out there that people have found. And I just, you know, copied, pasted, was able to create the package and get the Synology NAS in there. Additionally, of course, you can manually connect to it. So a very minor issue, but I'd love to see the Synology NAS software package get in there just for me personally. Uh, but outside of that, man, Solus is it's awesome. Well, they do have a, a section in their forums to request software to be added. So maybe you want to check that out. But I'll do I, it. I also had one issue, and that was with the third-party software. So the mm -hmm. third-party software was always a little bit, uh, well, it was obviously a lot slower in installing, but there were times where you would have issues with it. And for me, in that specific install, I did have issues. I tried to install Sublime Text and... I probably waited 10 minutes and it was still trying to install this. And then I tried another one. I think it was NPass, uh, Password Manager, and it came up with the same situation. So uh, it's not that everything's you know 100% perfect, but overall, you're right. Solus is absolutely awesome. Yeah. Yep. They've done fantastic work there. So, Rocco, I know you turned 20 last year, but guess what? What? Gnome just turned 20 this year. You're kidding. So it's time for us to sing happy birthday. No, I'm teasing. We would never. I am not singing listeners. happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but I'm 21. Holy mackerel. Yes, you're 21. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, uh, you're, you're a big Gnome user, right? I am a big Gnome user. Yeah. And I have an, an Antergos now. And of course, in um, Solus, I'm running Gnome. So I guess I'm becoming a little bit of a gnome. I, I love KDE. KDE's probably still my favorite, but gnome's pretty close up there. I'm really starting to understand why you love it so much. And uh, I thought there were some interesting things as we reflect back on the 20 years of gnome here. Well, so um, let's go back. Let's go back. Okay. Take us back. Let's go back to 1999. All right. This is where Alanis Morissette had her hit. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Ironic Don't that we get think? back to that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so since the initial release of GNOME 1.0 in 1999, there have been 33 stable releases. As it enters its 20th year, GNOME may yet regain its popularity. So what's GNOME's biggest competition, would you say, Rocky? Uh, it has to be KDE, man. Definitely. And in fact, in a lot of articles I was reading about this, they talked about GNOME and KDE battles for, you know, the greatest out there. So they're talking about the upcoming version of GNOME 3.26, which is going to be nicknamed Manchester, which will be scheduled to release in September 2017. But this is what I thought was the most beautiful part of all of this is 6,000 contributors to GNOME, 8 million lines of code. And that is just absolutely support from Red Hat, Canonical, Fedora, and Ubuntu backers, respectively. That's just an amazing undertaking to think about that many people writing that many lines of code, producing something this beautiful. Yep. 
and okay, there will be a lot of people that we would get a lot of comments for this section because there's a lot of haters of GNOME, especially now that it's GNOME 3 and the design <laughs> that it switched from. But uh, GNOME as a whole has turned into a great desktop environment. Yes, it is heavier than other just desktop environments. Is it as light as XFCE or as fast? No, it's not going to be. Is d- Does it... Uh, draw the population in yes i believe it does i think it has that uh whatever it is about it that will draw people into and i think that's one thing that canonical saw in it that is the reason one of the reasons why they switched to it because it has that draw of people that you know after you get over the uh the the initial reaction of oh my gosh this is different you really see Mm -hmm. what it can do and and what can be done with it and like I said, it's turned into a great desktop environment. Here's here's the issue I have with it's GNOME, right? That's how the, the Linux. It depends on GNOME. who you talk to, Ryan. It's GNOME, but I say GNOME. <laughs> it's GNOME. I just want to set it straight for anybody out there. It's it is GNOME. GNOME. It will be GNOME henceforth. You can't make things up. And that's one of the reasons I avoid GNOME on my channel, because with the times I cover it, people all in the comments are like, it's GNOME. I'm like, I don't know what English language you have, but I read that GNOME. If they want it to be GNOME, it would be G-U-H-N-O-M-E. Yeah. What, what's, why do we make up new names for these distributions to make it so hard to pronounce? Well, look, this it is, just feeds the trolls. This is a hot topic. People will always <laughs> be on either one side or the other. There's never anybody in the middle. You either want to say it this way or you want to say it that way. And yeah. everybody has their own points on why. You know, because they'll go into the acronym of it. And so, but either way, you know what I say? Gnome is 20 years. Say it like you want to say it. Okay. There you go. Say it like you want to say. You heard it from Rocco first. So (laughs) I'm very, I I think Gnome's beautiful. I'm sure people who have more history than me may have a reason, but this may be the year of the Gnome. If you think about Ubuntu, you know, making this big switch, um, what do you think, Rocco? Is this the year of that Gnome starts to become as popular as Katie? I, I, I think GNOME's popularity will grow just because of a canonical switch into it. But I think you're always going to have that base of people that don't like it and won't like it and will never want to run it. It's just the way it is. You know, even I watch YouTube videos and even from YouTube people that I know, they, you know, they will never want to run GNOME. It's too heavy. It's wow. garbage. It looks terrible. And and it's all it comes down to taste, and that's what's great about the Linux community sure. is we can run whatever we want to run. If you don't want to run GNOME, if you don't think GNOME is great, and you think it's the lousiest piece of junk out there, fine, then don't run it. <laughs> Simple as that. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> I I mean I enjoy running it. Uh, you know, yeah. like, I'm usually a KDE guy. I mean, but do you get a lot of flack for running GNOME? Have I, you gotten a lot of flack in? I've got a lot of flack for not running KDE again. You know. Um, Re- even recently, people have said, oh, you know, why are you still running GNOME? Because <laughs> it's because it's working fine. I, you know, I don't have any reason to. Only reason I would want to switch is because it's, you know, something new. Other than that, I mean, I don't really need to switch. So right, you've gotten used to your workflow being in yes. that environment. So, so do you use a VPN? I do use a VPN. Wow, and you use Google? Imagine that, huh? <laughs> 
So this is a really interesting article, and I'll let you expand a little bit on this. But the CDT has accused Hotspot Shield VPN of sharing with web advertisers. So when you get a VPN and you're thinking, hey, I'm encrypting my traffic, I'm keeping myself safe from getting all of this you know, ability for metadata to be grabbed on me. Also, there's a lot of privacy things and stuff that come along with the VPN, but that's certainly one of the pluses. When you go searching for something, it doesn't start popping up every time you open your web browser to, to buy that item or whatnot. But this company is going and taking that information and giving it to ever advertisers, allegedly, allegedly, right? Well, the CDT are, is accusing them of sharing the data and the traffic of its users. So currently Hotspot Shield has a free product and it has a paid product. So the free product obviously is gonna be supported by ads and, and everything else. The problem is not that. The problem is that they pledge that they do not sell your data. And according to the people at the CDT, they do sell your data to advertisers to gain money. And it's just, I mean, there's a war of words. If you read all of the articles about it, there's a war of semantics of how they say they're going about it. But basically what it comes down to is they pledge that they're not selling your data, but really in reality, they are. So they're accusing Anchor Free, which is the uh, mother company of Hotspot, of doing this. And I don't know. It's, I think it's going to really hurt Hotspot because all you have is trust, okay? Like for me, sure. I use private internet access, okay? Yeah. After everything that I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> After everything that I have read and researched and looked at, I trust a little bit. You know what I mean? You have to have somewhat of a little bit of right. a trust in a VPN because you're obviously giving them your data and it's supposed to be encrypted, but there's that trust there. If at some point, they break that trust, then obviously I would move away from them. And that's where it's, this is going to hurt hotspot because if you don't have that trust, you're going to lose a lot of people. You may have people that will still use it, but you're going to lose the base core of people that actually trust you to not do these things. Well, see, VPNs are finally starting to get the popularity. I think they deserve, they've always been around for a long time, but uh, they're starting to get more popular with your everyday users. And I, on my channel, talk about big six of security and VPN is one of those big six. I think it's very important, especially with things going on with telco companies and cable companies and everything else that people look at VPNs and they're not very expensive and there are some free options. And I always stayed away from free because I didn't want to take that chance that somebody could be trying to figure out a way to monetize it and uh, make money. So if you're paying for something, uh, you expect, of course, or if the company's claiming that they're not doing something, that they're not doing that. And uh, it's bad for VPN. It's bad for Hotspot, but it's also because they're, they're one of the top providers out there. But It's also bad for VPNs, period, because now everyone's going, man, maybe I don't trust these companies after all what they're doing. So uh, I think it's it's a really bad situation if it's true. I hope it comes out that it's not, but all signs point to yes, I think, at this point. Um, because, like you said, they're starting to blame some of the parent companies and everything else for it, which means probably some problems. There. Well, there's an argument to be had that, you know, like if you're on the Internet period, your information is out there and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Even using a VPN is is not going to solve anything. But... 
like I said before, you have to you have to trust somebody with your info, and you need to be able to you have to trust the right people, or at least do your research and feel comfortable with who you're trusting. So for me, I trust private internet access more than I trust, say, any of the other VPNs, and I trust private internet access more than I trust my ISP without yeah. running a VPN. You know? Yeah. So absolutely, I'm not saying you're 100% safe with it. I'm saying that you are as safe as you trust them with with your info. Yeah, and that, and you really want to look for a lot of good companies that have done penetration testing that have obviously certain types of encryption that they utilize, uh, like even open source encryption uh, methods, which Pia does utilize, and it has a lot of reputable companies behind it. I didn't go and look at Hotspot to see how many people prior to all this uh, gave Hotspot a thumbs up, but uh, Lifehacker is probably one of my favorite sites for getting recommendations for software and things, and EFF, and they've supported Pia for a while. So I think it's a good choice. It's not the only one, uh, but you're right. At the end of the day, you're taking a leap of trust there with either one. Yep, and I think you also, not only with reviews and with information, but you also have to look at what have they done in the past with when they've been subpoenaed, when point. people have you know, tried to get info from them how did that work out? And from everything that I have read um, about private internet access, they have done a tremendous job in keeping it private. They, you know, the whole point was they had a, a legal situation where they were told to hand over, you know, the logs for this specific individual, and they did. They handed over the logs, and there was nothing in the logs because they don't keep them. <laughs> so exactly. it's like, <laughs> here's a blank piece of paper. There you go. Yeah. So, you, like I said, it comes down to trust. Yep, absolutely. All right, what do we got next? Well, what kind of Linux email client do you use, Rocco? Okay, Linux email client is such a hot topic right now because there really isn't a good contender out there. I use Thunderbird right now because it's probably the best one at the moment. Me too, but I've heard been hearing a lot about evolution uh, as a potential replacement for a Linux email client. And I came across a really interesting article by Jack Wally. And he's basically making the case here that Evolution should be the default Linux email client uh, for, I believe it's for Ubuntu, because he talks specifically in here about a well, you've talked about this before, the voting that Canonical is doing, basically putting surveys out and asking people, you know, which email client do you want to be the default client? And, of course, people chose what me and you chose, Thunderbird, number one. Yep. And then they chose Claws, number two. And in this article, he kind of makes the case that, you know, the only one that he's utilized or feels that really has a complete user experience um, that is really showing off the capabilities of Linux and could be used in an enterprise from an enterprise standpoint. So businesses as well as home users was evolution. So when you look through this article, you use email clients uh, probably more so than I do. I have them to back up my accounts, but I don't really use them as a daily driver. Have you used evolution? Do you agree that it's the best out well, there? Well, okay. I have used evolution and I recently did a test on Rev evolution for about a, two-week period uh, where I solely used evolution itself. And there was nothing really wrong with evolution. 
It's just, mm-hmm. it goes back to trust again. You know what I mean? Like, because your emails are sensitive information and you don't yeah. want to lose any. And even though that's not a as big as of a problem as it used to be when you have IMAP instead of POP, um, you just kind of have that feel with Thunderbird that it's solid, that it's not going to, you know, mess anything up. You're not going to lose any emails. And I don't say that because I have experience in losing emails in elementary because I don't. I just, at the end of the two weeks, I was like, eh, you know, I'm just going to go back to what I know because it didn't, it didn't give, it didn't put me over the top to say, yeah, I got to start using this. Well, so when I, when I saw this article, I downloaded Claws and I felt um, instantly. Like you were uh, with Alanis Morissette? <laughs> with the author. Uh, and I could see, you know, a lot of these things that don't look sophisticated have a lot of technology behind them. From an everyday user standpoint, I don't want to sit there and play with something for nine years. I just want it to work. And when I was going through Claws, it was asking very basic, instead of like auto feeding information from your provider and stuff, you had to type everything in manually. But I don't want to deal with that. So with Thunderbird, you know, you as you type in your email address, it says, oh, Gmail. So you're Google. Here's all your, your settings, blah, blah, blah. And the same thing with Evolution. It did the exact same thing. Here's where Evolution lost me. I didn't spend a ton of time on it, and I don't want to have to spend a ton, ton of time with an email client. I couldn't figure out where it was saving my personal folders. And this is a big deal for me because, like you said, you don't want to lose these emails. And I couldn't find the, where the file system was that it was saving the personal folders and personal emails at, and therefore I couldn't back it up with the Synology NAS where I could set it up to automatically back that file up. Whereas Thunderbird, I knew right where it was. So right then and there, I uninstalled Evolution and went back to Thunderbird. So it did seem very clean. And I guess people's avoidance to it is because it looks like Outlook, which, or at least that's what the author claims. I think if that's true, that's a very stupid reason not to want to use something. Right. Um, But uh, ultimately, yeah, that's the case that's being made is that they would be shooting themselves in their foot if they use something like Claw. Um, I don't know how he feels about Thunderbird per se, but um, it, 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 he didn't seem too delighted about that either. He felt Evolution should be this new one. So what do you think? Well, I'm pretty sure there is a backup feature in Evolution that backs up all of your files, counts, preferences, and everything. It, it actually exports everything to wherever you want it to go to. But I don't know if that um, exports it as a specific zip file or or whether it's... Uh, you know, like for example, in Thunderbird, I can just copy the dot Thunderbird folder and I keep everything yeah. and it just put it over and, and it's done where I'm not always keen on something that I have to actually use in order to re-import it, you know? Right. So well, it wasn't intuitive enough that I could figure it out in a couple of minutes, but I really didn't spend that much time. Well, I had another problem with my emails this week. Uh, well, actually for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and that's why we need a better Linux desktop email application um, or it goes hand in hand with it, I should say, because I was not receiving some of my emails that I receive every single day and I could not figure this out for the life of me. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I use Hushmail as my email service and for whatever reason, I was I just all of a sudden started to not get the emails anymore. I would so get you, some. You thought... You thought the podcast was going great because you got no more hate mail. I got no more hate mail. I was like, great. I love it. This is awesome. But (laughs) 
<laughs> all the good emails came in. That's all that came in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I was losing emails and I, I just didn't know what was going on. So I actually contacted Hushmail and they helped me walk through it. And it ended up being that I removed the account from Thunderbird to see if that was the problem. And that wasn't the problem. Uh, it ended up being the Android app on my phone that I used to check my emails, which was Newton. And it was sending these emails into uh, like a folder for newsletters and social media. It's a new feature that just got updated and upgraded. So they turned it on. <laughs> Do you love it? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Uh, and so all of these are going in this box and I usually, I have multiple email accounts on the phones on, on my emails in general. And so I was using the all inboxes. So you don't always see these folders. And on top of that, normally in an IMAP account, folders are synced between the server. But in this case, they were not. So when I would go to Hushmail on the web, this newsletter folder that it was putting these emails in was not there. It was not in Thunderbird. So the only place you could actually see it would be in Newton. And like I said, I'm using the all inboxes so I don't see the individual folders. So long story short, it's solved. I turned that feature off and now I got all my emails. <laughs> now you got all the hate mail. Oh. You're like, oh, they, oh they, my gosh, here we go. Me. Why are you running GNOME? Why are you still running GNOME? <laughs> here they come. <laughs> That's too funny. So, I mean, I think you made a good point there when you're talking about that, that maybe none of these options are particularly the answer, or maybe there needs to be um, some major overhauls because it's, it's not like, I, I don't feel like there really is a fantastic answer to this author's complaint. He, He's obviously pushing for evolution, but I didn't think it was so fantastic that it was better than Outlook, and Outlook sets the bar pretty low already, so I don't know that we've got something really good here yet. Well, that's why I kind of switched back to Thunderbird, because there was nothing that put me over the top to say, yeah, you mm -hmm. should use this, so yeah, there you go. So one of our favorite sections to talk about, well, at least one of my favorite sections to talk about is gaming. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got some really awesome news here in gaming. The first one I want to talk about is what I've been playing this week. Ryan, I've, what have you been playing this week? Cool. Let me tell you, Rocco. <laughs> Hero Siege. There are so many. And one of the things I love to get across in my channel is how many games there are on Steam. And there was an infographic. I wish I could find it. And if I do, I'll send it so you can put it in the video that shows really the you know PS4, Xbox, all these different consoles for gaming. And then there's Linux. It has the second highest amount of games before Windows out there. So, I mean, there's a ton of games available out there. So I want to highlight once in a while some games that I'm playing so people who are interested in gaming can go out there and look at it. And Hero Siege is this hack and slash game. It's explained as a roguelike game with RPG elements, annihilate hordes of enemies, Grow your talent tree so you've got that RPG ability as, as you're slaughtering masses of monsters and enemies. You're gaining experience and you can put those points into different things to become more powerful. You've got seven acts to go through. It's a very inexpensive game to go get out there in Steam. Uh, beautiful pixel art graphics. Countless hours, they say, of gameplay and four players online which means one day, if we can get Rocket away from Rocket League, <laughs> we might be able to actually go and play this game. Now, I've spent some time playing it. I played it with the Steam controller, and I can tell you it is an unforgiving, um, 
just mass of you remember smash tv yep where you just had hordes of enemies coming and you're just trying to take them out and it's a lot of fun and if you have somebody to play with uh could be an absolute blast out there it's not a new game uh but certainly a fun one out there for you to check out well, I think we're going to make this a uh, a routine talking about what game you're playing for the week. Uh, right. But I'm probably not going to interject too much because it would probably be boring to talk about Rocket League every week. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> the listeners at home, when I'd ask you, what are you playing? Or they, they'd just answer for you, Rocket League. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right. So have you heard of the new Vega launch? Have I heard of it? I it's, a, am, it's an obscure video card that has been that's going to come out from an obscure yeah. uh, company. Some just random manufacturer nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, <laughs> what's so funny is now the articles on this Vega graphics card. Uh, if you follow Reddit, Linux um, uh, subreddits in there, there there's a lot of memes out there and jokes because AMD was saying they would have no problems with inventory when this launched and guess what they're out of inventory yeah they're out of it <laughs> imagine this that. thing has sold like hotcakes and i'm so proud of them i'm so happy and i i actually have started uh putting together my build for my Ryzen build there nice. so um definitely excited and, and want one of these cards to be in that build the radeon vega well, they don't come cheap. Okay, so the Radeon RX Vega fifty six is three ninety nine, and the Vega sixty four, which is air cooled, comes at four ninety nine. So they're definitely not cheap cards. But I guess they are uh, competing with the GTX ten seventy and ten eighty from Nvidia. So uh, they're not really going to be cheap cards. So there's an article on Pharonix about these. And they go through the clock speeds and the the uh, shaders and the cores and everything, but really what we want really what we want to know is how do they stack up as far as FPS in real time gaming on Linux? Right. So in real time gaming, the synapse the uh, short of the story is they are comparative to the 1070. So like the Vega 64. It falls under the GTX 1080 in most games on FPS, mostly due to not being optimized within the driver itself. Okay, so the 56 comes in a little bit over or under, depending on which game you have of the 1070. But this is specific to Linux that these benchmarks, these FPS results are coming from. So in the Windows section of it, they don't have quite the problem, but the drivers themselves are not optimized yet. And I was hoping that, you know, with the release of them, they were going to be more ready uh, to be right out of the box, you know, just blazing fast, just blowing NVIDIA out of the water. But uh, that's not the case. So what do you think? Well, not yet the case, I think, right? I, I think that, exactly. um, you know, AMD has shown an incredible ability to compete and they are uh, with with all of their competitors that used to leave them in the dirt, and they obviously have some bugs to work out on these. The one thing I'd say I wasn't as happy about is, and I know this is their Founders Edition version, is the look of the card itself. You know, if you compare <laughs> the look of it, it's just very square and simple. It's not bad looking, don't get me wrong, but um, when you compare that to like the F. 
22 looking 1080 where it's just got those real neat curves and everything else. Um, I think it leaves a little to be desired. And, and a lot of people care about that in the gaming world because they spend a lot of money doing custom builds, custom lights, custom cooling. They yep. want something that looks really cool in there. Um, so I was a little disappointed about the looks. I think they definitely rushed this card out a little bit uh, faster than maybe they could have spent a little more time getting some of those drivers and performance out there. Do I think this card will eventually have some very impressive showings across the board? Yes, they're going to they're gonna be working on that. And I assume with the amount of sales that they have, they're going to have the money uh, to dedicate some resources to looking at. So overall, very exciting news. I think they'll get it fixed. And hopefully in their next uh, iterations of this and as the other manufacturers like EVGA and others who may sign up to build this card as well yep. come out, you'll even have less. Well, the AMD developers do acknowledge that they're going to need to fine tune the drivers more in order to get the performance out of it. So it's not like they don't know and it's not all, you know, roses for it, but it's definitely exciting. And one of the exciting things about this is uh, in the Pharonix article, if you read the FPS values, you're going to see that it matches up with the NVIDIA cards. But for those of you who uh, care about open source drivers, this these FPS results were done with an open source driver for the card. So obviously, you know, if you have NVIDIA, you're not going to leave the Nuvo drivers on if you want a game. You want to, you're going right. to install the proprietary drivers. These were, these results were with the open source drivers. So it, if you're comparing it to just performance versus performance, you know, obviously NVIDIA is going to win in that. But if you're comparing it and open source comes into your realm of thought, then obviously Vega wins in that area. So. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there needs to be a little bit more time for them to, if you know, people want to benchmark the second they get it, shove it in the computer, run some benchmarks. But yes. as they fine tune it, we'll really get to see how well it competes. And it, it needs some time out there in, in the real world. It needs more time because the uh, Radeon software settings are not present right now. So, yeah. you know, the old Catalyst Control Center. So if you want to overclock it, you're going to have to do it through the command line. And that's not what everybody's going to be able to do. So there's there's good and there's bad points about about the release. So if you, I don't think you're going to be able to pick one up right now, just because of the yeah, good luck finding one. <laughs> but if you can send one to me and Rocco, yeah, if you're lucky enough to yeah. do that, that's great. Uh, and let us know how you make out with that. So yeah. So another game out there, if you've got, if you were able to get your hands on one of these cards that you may want to check out and play, would be Tower of Time. The game that blends an RPG and an RTS together in one and looks absolutely gorgeous. So have you taken a look at this game? Is this one that would might pull you away from Rocket League finally, Rocco? Well, look, I <laughs> I've told you before, I'm not an RPG guy, but this game looks absolutely awesome. And it's not uh, it doesn't look to me like your normal RPG style game. It's like a mix of and it looks almost like a Tomb Raider game, like an old pitfall type game where you're running around in this 3D world and it just looks fabulous. So yes, I might end up trying this out and maybe it'll pull me from Rocket League. And maybe we could live stream it. So one of the things I love is they've combined this, um, like you mentioned Tomb Raider, which I thought was a, for the environments was a fantastic 
analysis there. Made it very close to Tomb Raider from the environment look, but then you've got this fallout element where you can pause time and figure out what to do with your crew, it looked like in the video. And then, of course, you have the mass damage top-down view where, you know, almost the Baldur's Gate type feel in there. So if you love those type of games, those classic RPGs, but with modern graphics, this game is an early access game. They released it for Linux right out the gate. So definitely go out there and support them. It's not a very expensive game either. It's $14.99 for early access. But keep in mind, early access means bugs. Definitely means bugs. If you're somebody who gets, you know, uh, very annoyed quickly with bugs or is a completionist and uh, only wants to play a game through one one run through, uh, this may be something that you want to hold off on until it comes out of early access. But uh, as far as great games out there, there are so many options coming to Linux. I mean, every week we cover two or three games that we just randomly find, but we have the option of picking from like 10 or 12. It's ridiculous the yep. amount of games that are, are now becoming available for Linux. So very exciting stuff. Well, the other thing too is they're working with the Linux community as well. So, you know, the developers, you know, had said, hey, submit your specs and we we need testers. And then, then they came back and said, hey, thanks for helping us out. And we hope to have a date for the Linux release very soon. So it's all we talked about last week about working together with the developers and, and going and, you know, saying, being vocal about it, say, hey, you know, this is what we want. And the more that happens, the better it's going to be. Absolutely. All right, so have you ever played Verdun? No, but it's actually been on my wish list in Steam. Okay, so Verdun is a war game, and I actually don't have it. It's on my wish list as well, okay? Um, It's something that I've always looked at and said, man, I'd like to try that, but there's so many games that come out that are disappointing, that especially in the FPS world where you have the the latest war game that comes out and it's hyped up to be this fantastic game and then you mm-hmm. buy it and it's really not fantastic. So I kind of held off on Verdun because that's what I felt it would be. But for those who have purchased it, they have updated to a new version of Unity that has the full screen bug on Linux. So... The problem is, if you run it in full screen, you're going to have issues. And this is not the only game that does this. Uh, There are other games that do the same thing. Uh, It's a bug in the Unity game engine. So the problem is, or I should say the fix is that you need to run it in Windows mode, windowed mode. Okay, so for example, if you just add to your Steam launch option the uh, dash screen, dash full screen, zero that will fix the issue for the moment. That will be a temporary fix until they fix the actual engine that it works with. So what do you think? Well, it it's a really good point here. I think this is really interesting, and I see it uh, often, especially when individuals, a lot of people on my channel go, oh, I'll switch to Linux, but gaming, gaming, gaming. One of the things they talk about is issues in gaming. If you've ever gone through Steam forums, and I was on Windows for what? 20-something years um, and gaming on, in Windows. So I'm, I'm quite familiar with a lot of the issues you have. And I'm very familiar with this launch option feature. You right-click properties on the game and you go to launch options because 
in Windows and other games, you have these same problems in it where it's not going to the monitor you want or there's some bug where you've got to run it in a certain mode to get it to run. So this isn't really unique to Linux in any way. It just happens to be a Linux game that, that they have this bug in. Uh, but you run into this kind of across the board. I ran into this with Ballistic Overkill as well. When they switched over to Vulkan, there were issues where you had to go into launch options and make some changes to it uh, to get it to work correctly. Otherwise, you'd just see this black blank screen. Uh, but the thing is, there's always these workarounds and the people who go out there and find them. I don't know how they do it. They're they, awesome, dude. They just find them. And by the time you go and search for it, they've got an answer for you. So it's not a big deal uh, out there, but hopefully they get it fixed pretty quickly. And get it resolved. All right. So do you have any money in the Venezuela black market? I was thinking about investing some the other day. I just had some extra money laying around. So well, put it there. If you have some World of Warcraft game video game currency, you may be in luck, man. Because <laughs> there's an article out there that talks about how it is the most used method of currency exchange within Venezuela, according to the NPR, of course. I mean, if you if you're an NPR fan, so you can get one dollar for eighty four ninety three. No idea what that their money exchange is. <laughs> Bolivar? What is that? <laughs> Bolivar. Boliv okay. Just say it really fast. It sounds like you know what you're right. saying. I know what I'm talking about. Bolivar. Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, a WoW token, which can be bought for $20, is worth $83.85. That's incredible. Are you kidding me, dude? A WoW <laughs> currency is more <laughs> than the dollar? <laughs> So now all these neckbeards who are playing WoW can uh, take their level 60 paladines and just buy the whole country with WoW currency. Oh, my gosh. And this is even, according to uh, some sites, this this information is even outdated as of right now, and it's now more th worth even more. So this is just this is so ridiculous that, that WoW currency would be worth more than, I mean, are you, are you kidding me? Come on. This is making a lot of WoW players happy right now. All I can say is, WoW. They're saying, Mom, you said I wasted all my time, but I just bought. <laughs> so I have That's a question for you, man. Yeah. And the question I have for you, do you like coffee? I, what? You do not show that <laughs> off in front of me. That is a beautiful cup you got there, Look Rocco. at this mug. You too oh can gosh. have this mug, Destination me? Linux. Oh, yeah, you too. <laughs> if you want it. Okay, so we have a uh, Teespring campaign, whatever you want to call it, going on for Destination Linux apparel. If you would like one, uh, you can go to teespring.com forward slash Destination Linux podcast, and you can pick yourself up some. And I decided to pick up some uh, coffee mug. And hold on. Wait for it. Uh-oh. You've got more? Wait for it. Don't break the Big Daddy mug back there. How about that? Oh, huh? look at that swag. Man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you wear something like that and walk down the street, you know what people think? What do they think? Genius. That's genius. a genius right there. That's exactly yes. what they think. No, they don't think that about me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of the first people I know to get your coffee cup. How is it drinking out of that cup? Dude, Does your coffee taste better? The coffee never hotter? tasted better. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> never. 
That's amazing. You heard it here. No, but that really is a beautiful cup. That's a beautiful cup. You're going to have to get yourself Absolutely. one. I'm just saying. Yes. Oh, it's happening. So the, the Teespring uh, campaign, I guess, is over the 25th, but we will, I guess, roll that over so you can continue ordering if you like. Um, so, Brian. Yeah. Where can we find you this week, man? I'll tell you where you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at the Dask Geek channel. You can find me on the YouTube channel. But some of the more fun places you can find me on is the Destination Linux Telegram. I will pop in there from time to time. You'll see my name is Das Geek. But another place you may find me is battling, or should we say embarrassing other players? <laughs> or ourselves, one or the other. <laughs> or ourselves. <laughs> battling with Rocco in Rocket League, because generally about once a week we get together on my channel and me and you play some live stream Rocket League and show all these kids what old school gamers are capable of. It's not much, but we show them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we tried actually streaming uh, both. Uh, you were streaming on your channel. I was streaming on mine, but I don't have the uh, top of the line graphics card. So my computer couldn't handle streaming it <clears throat> at a good quality and still being able to play it. So we pretty much just stream it onto your channel and yep. it works out pretty good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We have a blast. The What I love is the community that comes into the live chat and makes fun of us. So they, they <laughs> and half the time we're just laughing at the comment. So it actually is a really good time and we don't take it too seriously. Well, we might pretend to. Um, when we're winning, we take it seriously. That's just not very often. Are we not always winning? No. Yeah. <laughs> and where can we find you this week besides battling with me and Rock? Well, you can find me at Big Daddy Linux on uh, the old Twitter, and you can find me on the YouTube channel at Big Daddy or uh, YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Big Daddy Linux, and with you playing Rocket League. That's right. All right. So a big thank you to everyone in the Telegram group. We just went over the hundred mark as far as members, and awesome. I think we're up to 104 at the moment as of recording this. And we'll, we will be continuing to grow. So the conversations have, it was, I mean, you come back and there's like 400 messages to read through, you know, <laughs> don't ever scroll back. That's all I say. <laughs> turn, yeah. when you can join the group, turn off notifications and don't scroll back. So there you go. Yeah. It's a very lively group and there's tons of great discussions going on on myriads of topics and there's lots of different personalities in there. And I find it funny. When certain people will say certain things, they're like, oh, you're going to make <laughs> Mike's going to start commenting now when he hears this. And yep. so everybody's really getting along and you can you can feel the camaraderie around everyone there. And I just it's a really fun group to be a part of. But like you, I learned the hard way. It took me a couple of days to realize stop scrolling back because you're yep. never going to catch up. Never. And uh, just get in there and enjoy it. So re really great thing. I recommend you guys go check it out. DestinationLinux.org forward slash telegram. And you can find us at destinationlinux.org. So until next week, everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you, Ryan. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Ready for me to talk?
No. Okay. Yeah, All go right. ahead. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do it. Rocco and Ryan will be playing Rocket League. When? Tonight. Yes. Tonight. I love it. 